Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. If you're online, thank you also for joining us. Let me, I don't often do this, but I want to put a disclaimer in on Nate. He got engaged a week ago. He's silly in love. He's hooked on a feeling. He's high on believing. He's all shook up. So that's how you're getting that rhyme there, that stuff. So just, yeah, don't, don't, yeah. He's in love. He's, hey, um, a few years ago, a friend of mine was driving. Oh, he's coming back from Omaha. He was out about Gretna. And he thought, you know, I, I'm feeling some chest pain. It's probably nothing. But I know there's an urgent care, so I'm going to stop in there real quick and, and just, you know, be better safe and sorry, have them check it out. Well, they checked it out, and they said, um, we're putting you on an ambulance to UNMC, University of Medical Center in Omaha. You are going right into open heart surgery. Can we get your wife's number? We'll call her. You'll be in surgery by the time you get there. We need to move on this thing. This is serious. Okay, well, he survived surgery, he's doing fine. But he didn't know how serious his heart condition was. And I'm sure he's glad he stopped to check that out. Biblically, spiritually, we're in a similar condition. We got a heart issue. And I don't know if we understand how serious it is. So I want to talk about that today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Revelation chapter 9, we're going to go through this chapter, and we're going to wrestle with the question, how bad is our heart condition? How bad is our heart condition? Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, uh, you know we're going through the book of Revelation. On the back of your discussion questions, we put a little outline there. Let me try and talk us through real quick so we can see where we've been. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Um, John speaks, said, hey, I got a vision, I got an apocalypse, a prophecy, but it, uh, a, a vision, but it is a prophecy. It is not something to ponder. And, no, it is a, a word on how to live to seven churches who are under pressure from the Roman government to quit worshiping Jesus and to start worshiping the emperor. Six of the cities have temples built by the government. Five of the cities have a priesthood that is subsidized by the government. And so chapters one through three is God's assessment of each one of the churches, what's going well and what's not going well. Chapters 4 and 5, then, John in the vision is taken into heaven, and, and things are in order in heaven. People are worshiping God as they should, but that's not what's happening on earth. And there's a scroll that's rolled out, and it has God's plan of salvation and judgment to bring heaven to earth. But there's seven seals, and no one is found fit to open the scroll until Jesus in chapter 6 and 7, Jesus begins to open those seals to unroll God's plan of judgment and salvation to bring his plan to earth. And what we find out in chapters 6 through 17 are there are three series of seven judgments. The first are the seven seals. And, and the seventh seal, the sixth seal brings us right to the end, and we think we're going to the end times, but then... The seventh one introduces seven trumpets, and we'll find out, we'll get there to the sixth trumpet, the seventh one, and that will open seven bowls. Right now, we are in the midst of the trumpet judgments. We looked at the first four last week, and we're going to look at the last three, or at least two of the last three today. And remember, let's keep context. This is a prophetic word. 
in the form of a letter from Pastor John to seven churches saying, don't give in to the pressure of the Roman government. Your faith may even cost you, yes, your life, but Rome will not have the final word here. They have set themselves up as God, but they are not. You maintain your worship of the true God, not some substitute. That's our context. We're going to look at the fifth trumpet here, starting in chapter 9, uh, verse 1. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, sounded being the trumpet, I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. This star is a divine being with a key to open the pit, the abyss. Now, until this point in the judgments, God has limited Satan to deception. But now he is going to release him, and we're going to see Satan and his demons come more and more play into play in the rest of the trumpet judgments, and then we'll see seven bowl judgments. And, and we will understand that Satan is behind everything that is going on, even the propping up of the Roman government. But now they are being released. Verse 2 says, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. If you were with us last week, we noticed that the first four trumpet judgments paralleled God's judgment of Egypt and that a godless ruler, Pharaoh, set himself up to reject God so the Roman government was following in that track. Well, well, this continues. Locusts were one of the judgments that God brought on Egypt back in the Old Testament. Locusts were also used by God as a judgment against Israel in the book of Joel. So again, we're using symbols to remind the readers God is at work judging this government which seems invincible. Verse 3, then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. That all happened last week in the first four trumpet judgments. The grass and the trees and the sea and the water and fish. Okay, you're not going to do any of that. But only the men, catch this, who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. We saw last week that God sealed his people. And I think that tells us that though God's people will suffer persecution, they will not suffer the judgment of God. God said this government, Roman government, and its people will be judged. God's people won't suffer judgment, but they will suffer persecution at the hands of the people. They were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Again, it's limited judgment. Verse 6, in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. So why, if people want to die, why doesn't God just say, go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to give you which one. Go ahead. Because God is a good God. Okay? And even in judgment, he is good. He's having these people longing for death so that they will think, what is going on? His hope is rather than giving to death, they will turn to God. Remember, these people have, the Romans have set themselves up as God. They, all the blessings of the God are mediated through the emperor. You better worship the emperor or else we're, we're in trouble as an empire. That's messed up. And God's saying, hey, I need to get your attention. 
It's out of whack here. And so there's this suffering. Why? So God can get, deal with his anger? No. No, God wants to turn people back to him. And he's just done the trees. He's done the fish. He's done the sea. We've had famine. We've had pestilence with the seal. What's it going to take? Description of the locusts, verse 7 through 11. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of the wings were like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpion and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. Again, limited. They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction. In the Greek, he has the name Apollon. Now, in reading commentaries for this, I, I, I read one commentator. He says, I count no less than 50 interpretations of what the locusts are. They're a helicopter, they're this, they're that. Let's remember, the first reader has got to understand whatever interpretation we're going to put on the locusts. Here's what I remember. God is using symbols. Think of a political commentator. He's using symbols because he wants to communicate a message. What's behind the locust? What's behind the symbol of the locust in this description? They're grotesque and they're overwhelming. God's judgment. Yeah, we kind of laugh at it. All it'll be done. No, 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 no. I, you don't, don't, don't laugh at the judgment of God. When it comes, if we face it, it's overwhelming and it's grotesque. Again, symbols to try and wake people up, to communicate a prophetic message to a people who are under duress. Don't give in. Because Rome will not have the last word. God will. In fact, he's bringing judgment on that empire. Good news in verse 12 is the first woe is past. The bad news is, second part, behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Here's the sixth trumpet, the second woe. In verse 13, then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And one is saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Why use the Euphrates? For the Roman Empire, their most feared foe was the Parthians just east of the Euphrates. I believe God uses symbolism to say to the people of the Roman Empire, you ain't going to win. You think you've set yourself up. You're not going to win. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released so they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies, the horsemen, was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Is the exact number important? No, but I think the idea that they're overwhelming, they're inescapable, needs to come through. You're not going to get away from 200 million horsemen. And this is how I saw in the vision of the horses those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. 
A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. Again, to try and figure out what's the symbolism, what's the teeth, what's this and that about the horses to miss the point. The judgment of God is overwhelming. And these people are living in a place where they fear the Roman government. They seem all-powerful. They are not. They are not. God is to be feared. And lest we think God is just, you know, he's just got to exercise anger, and he's got an anger problem, and he's just bringing it out. Look, if he wanted to bring judgment, he'd just, he'd just take out the whole, all of humanity. Why a third? Because he's trying to get people's attention. What is it going to take for you to understand that I mean business and you need to turn? Those of you who have set yourself up as God and those of you who are remaining faithful, you don't need to turn. Because <laughs> Rome does not have the final word, I do. So we've had six of the trumpets. Remember the last three trumpets are the three woes. We've had two of the three. Now there's going to be a pause. In chapters 10 and 11, before we have the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Remember, John is seeing a vision. He is trying to bring a prophetic message to these people to remain faithful to Jesus and not turn to the pressure of the Roman government. But I think it's, it's good for us to step back and say, why? Why this judgment from a loving God? That's what we sang, didn't we? He's long-suffering, he's patient, he's kind. Why, why would he do that? Well, I think earth... The creation gets out of whack when we're worshiping the wrong thing. So verse 20, first reason I think God's bringing this judgment. The rest of mankind who was not killed by these plagues, catch this, did not repent of the works of their hands. What is it going to take? Remember I asked about the heart condition? How hard is the heart? It's looking pretty hard here third of humanity, they won't repent. What? So as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Okay, here's what we're going to find out as we go on chapters 11, 12, and 13. The setting up of the Roman government, that's a work of Satan. He is using the city-state nation to draw people away. So when we worship idols, we're ultimately worshiping that which is of Satan. And we get more personal. We build our own idols. We set up things of gold and silver and rot and whatever, and we carve them out. And we say, you say, Andy, 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 that, that's back then. We don't do that. I don't have anything carved in my house. I have no idols. Author Tim Keller would disagree. He would say our hearts manufacture idols. So we worship prestige. If I could just get the position, vice president of sales, then, then I will have arrived. Then I will be significant. And we work 70 hours a week and we lay awake at night and that which is supposed to give life actually takes it from us. That's what idols do. Or we worship success or comfort so we work our tails off to get this five-day trip. If you win, if you make the right goals, but then 
we're done with the five-day trip and we're, we're on to next year. And it's, what's supposed to give us life is taken. We're in school and we want to be popular and we, want, and, and we know to be popular, we've got to compromise. And so we do things in the weekend that we can talk about on Monday and, 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 and that, 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 that popularity is so elusive. And what does it cost us? Yeah, this is being applied on a macro scale to a government that has set itself up as God. But this is an implication for every one of us. What are your idols? What is it? Pastor, what is it? Do you want to be recognized as a big church, a grown church? That wrecks God's call. If I got to pursue me, we've all got them. What is it? See, the second reason is that what we worship or who we worship affects our behavior. And that's John's point in, in verse 21. So they, not only are they, they were into idolatry, verse 20 says, they did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their immorality, nor their thefts. What's the connection? Listen, you set yourself up at God. I set myself up as God. No one tells us what to do. We can do what we want. And the bigger and more powerful we get, the more we write our own rules. And the more we're okay with murders and immorality and theft. And then this goes on the big scale, the government, the head of the army, the head of a multinational corporation. They're powerful. They do what they want. We're seeing it play out on the world stage right now. He decides he wants Ukraine. So he just goes. You know, nobody tells him what to do. We said in big corporations, they set work laws that are crushing people. They're in charge. God says, you get in charge. The more powerful you get, the more likely you are under murder. Immorality, I just take what I want, right? Because no one tells me. I don't, I'm not accountable to anybody. Thefts, I, I justify it, I rationalize it, but I take what is it mine. God says, I, this is why I'm judging. Because the creation's out of whack. People are not worshiping me, they're worshiping other things. And that is leading to all kinds of crazy behavior. And in his love, in his righteousness, his holiness, God says, I can no longer stand for this, I have to act. And my justice and my righteousness will one day result and we will see it played out in Revelation 20 and 21 and 22 in a renewed creation when things are set right. That is the hope of this Bible. Don't give up your faithfulness to Jesus because he is. It may cost you your life, church, but God is coming back to set up his kingdom on earth, a place where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more death, Revelation 21 verse 4. God in his goodness and his lovingness and his holiness and his righteousness, he waits and he waits, but he will judge sin. So as a kid, I, about seven years old, I fell in love with sports. And I was this nice boy who was hyper-competitive. I would cut your throat to win a game. And I was a kid, who, I'm 5'9", by, uh, probably by 12 years old, I was 5'6". And I could bring it as a pitcher in baseball. And when I was 12... I would uh, say that when I pitched, 90 to 95% of the people, they either walked or they struck out. I threw really hard, but I was really wild. 
And the games I was on, we were good. And the games I was wild. Well, the, the other team knew that, so they would shout from the bench, and they'd try and write, hey, pitch, pitch, hey, pitch, oh, wild man, pitch, pitch, pitcher. So I was such a hothead, I'm sitting on the mound, and I'd look at the bench, and I'd say, the next guy that talks is going to get hit. You talk about a kid that's out of control. A kid in the, on deck circle keeps chirping, chirp, 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 chirp. Fine, he steps in, first pitch, I'm wild, I, I'm, I'm outside. Second pitch, I got him, I hit him. I mean, my coach is out, he has yanked me from the game, he pulls me before the ump can throw me out. And my dad's sitting there watching it. He just watches the whole game. We get in the car and we go home. And he says, that will be a one-game suspension. He says, you pull anything close to this again, two games. You do something like that, else you're done for the year. And he says, by the way, this will carry into swim season. This is strike one, so maybe you get through the baseball season, you do fine. Well, right after that, summer swim season's there. You blow up at a race, that's strike two. That's two meets. Three, you're done. So years later, we're talking about that. You need to understand, my dad was not only at every game, he was at every practice. He was throwing batting practice to me that 12-year-old year. He was in the backyard catching me when I pitched. He said to me, Andrew, that killed me. That killed me to level that suspension. And I sure hoped you weren't, I hoped you were going to learn your lesson because I really didn't want to hit you for two games. I didn't really want to take your season from you. But I had to do it. You had to learn some emotional control. And I had to put consequences down there. See, I think my dad, looking back at it now, someone who's raised two kids, my dad would have been derelict <laughs> not to do anything. He would have been derelict to turn his head. Ah, that's just the way kids are. Well, that needs to change. If that's true with an earthly father, how much more with a heavenly father? Listen, when we got a government here, which the Roman government was done, pressuring people to worship the emperor as God, setting up te temples and subsidizing priesthoods, it's whacked. Something's wrong. And lest we push that off all those people up there, it comes down to us. We have our own gods. We have our own idols. And our heart condition's really, really bad. We need to be on the ambulance to UNMC, but it's not a physical surgery we need, it's a spiritual surgery. And without God's intervention, our heart condition will kill us. So how bad? And we ask, how bad is it? Without intervention, we will not recover from our spiritually fatal heart condition. Without intervention, God's intervention, we will not recover from our spiritually fatal heart condition. Just like that guy needed open heart surgery right now, we need a work of God. This is not a new idea to Revelation. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he wrote them this in the first three verses of chapter 2. Here's what he said. Here's your condition. You ready? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You're cut off from God. In which you formerly walked, you were controlled I remember my, uh, my junior year in college, my uh, roommate got a girlfriend. And all of a sudden, his grades went, because he quit studying. He came under the control. He was free making his choices, but something else was into it. We are controlled by Satan, and we're walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of a spirit that is now working in sons of disobedience. That's who we are, disobedient to God. 
Among them, we too all, before Jesus, all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh. That's why we're murdering, and that's why we're theft, and that's why we're into immorality, and we're into sorcery. We're living in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's what's going on in Revelation. Some people have set themselves up as God, and they're in all kinds of mess. But it's just not them. It's us. Fortunately, Paul's words don't end in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. There's verse 4. Here's what verse 4 says. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, and that goes on to explain the gospel, how Jesus came to die and rise again that we might live. So my question is, you and I have a really bad, fatal heart condition. We set ourselves up as God. We worship idols. Have you been delivered from that? And that idolatry plays out in wrong behavior. Have you been delivered from that? Have you had your sin forgiven? Have you trusted in Christ? Because when we do that, he restores our heart. And instead of worshiping idols, and instead of worshiping the creation, we begin to worship your creator. If you've never trusted Christ, I invite you to do that right now. That you might join the multinational people that one day are going to be in New Jerusalem, sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping the creator in the restored kingdom. So let me go back to my friend. He stops in there at the urgent care clinic. I don't know, somewhere out there in Gretna, someplace. And the doctor looks at the EKG and he says, yeah, man, that looks bad. But, you know, he's got a, he's got a, a nice night planned. I mean, his... Gonna have, they're barbecuing, and his kids are coming over, and, man, I just don't want to wreck that. Because, you know, putting him on the, the thing to UNMC, that, that trashes that plan. That trashes his plans for the next few weeks, doesn't it? But in, in, the, in the spirit of, what, of not wanting to ruin his day, I'm not going to say anything. What would happen when they did an investigation they found out about that? What would happen to that doctor? I would hope he would lose his license. And he would be negligent, grossly negligent. Why does God have to have such a hard word in the Bible about your condition and mine? Because in the same way, if he were not to say anything, he would be grossly negligent. We're sitting here spiritually with a heart that's about to blow. And it's about to cut us off from God. And God in his goodness and his grace and his mercy said, man, you need to be on the English. You need to be going to UNMC. You need a work of God spiritually right now. How bad? Dark condition? It's, it's fatal. It's fatal. And without the work of God, our fatal heart condition will destroy us. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for a hard word. And it is a little unsettling. We thought we were going to get it all clear, and we found out we're on an ambulance headed to UNMC because things are bad. But it's that truth that will save us, that will restore us. Thanks that you call your people to continue worshiping you even in the pressure of a world that says, I want you to worship something else. You call us to different values. You call us to understand that what we worship affects our behavior. Wrong worship ends up in all kinds of murder, sorcery, theft, and immorality. 
Lord, you've delivered us from that, and we're so grateful. I pray we'd live in a way that would honor you and would point people to the Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.